turn, if you will, to John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. Do you think the Lord's rebuking me now? Was that coordinated? As you want to choke the sound department or the equipment, that would be nicer. I'm reading New American because ESV does a poor, terrible job here. don't like it. NIV doesn't get it. So I'm using New American. King James does a better job here. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Why does he start dealing with a troubled heart? You have to pick up verse 36 in chapter 13. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, Where I go, you cannot follow me now. He had said this in verse 33 that he was leaving. I'm going away, you can't come. And so Jesus said, Where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow later. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a cock shall not crow until you deny me three times. Then let not your heart be troubled. Let us get the context. We're in the upper room. Judas has already left the room to carry out the plot that he's arranged with the Pharisees to sell out the Son of God. So they've lost their treasurer. He's walked out. Then the disciples are hearing Jesus tell their chief spokesman, their prominent disciple apostle, by the way, you're going to bail out on me. By the way, I'm going to leave you. Judas is gone. Peter's going to fail. Christ is going to leave. Here are men that uh, left being tax collectors, left their fishing business, left different things to follow Christ. And now Messiah is going to be taken away. Their chief leader is going to be uh, fall away. Judas has betrayed him. And they're thinking, hey, the kingdom has died before I ever got started. We haven't even got this thing off the, the ground, and our leader is leaving us. And we don't know where he's going. We don't know if he's going to come back. We don't know anything. We're in the dark. And their hearts start being troubled. And in the midst of that trouble, Christ tells them five things that I believe can comfort any troubled heart. This word for trouble is a strong word. It's a word for agitation. It was used in John 
5 of the uh, stirring of the water at the pool of Bethesda. It meant there was churning going on in these men, agitation. Uh, they lost their repose. Uh, they, uh, uh, anxiety, moved, perplexity of mind moved in, questions, confusion, uh, the absence of any idea of tranquility. And so Christ says, let me say this to you. Five things. For your troubled heart that I'm commanding you to stop it. Stop it. These five things I want you to do. Number one, I want you to trust God. Number two, I want you to know that I am going to go to the Father's house and I will eventually take you to the house. Three, I'm going to prepare you a place in the house and at the house. Four, I will be coming back for you. I'm leaving, but I won't forget you. I'll be back to get you. They had no idea it'd be 2,000 years. And then you will be with me forever. That would be music when you're hearing him say, I'm leaving you. You're on your own right now. So, trust in God. In the Greek, this could be an indicative that would say, you ought to trust God. But I believe it's an imperative, two imperatives. Trust in God, God the Father. Trust in me. And when your heart is troubled, it has to go somewhere. You, you, you look to yourself. Anxiety and fear is always the result of looking to your own resources, your own strength, your own maybe finance, what you could work out. You don't worry about things you're in control of. It's when it's out of control. It's when it's beyond your strength, your resources. That's when panic can set up. And so he says, the cure for your heart right now, you've got to trust me. You've got to trust me like you do God. And I find when my heart is troubled, Jesus is the word in the room speaking to them. But in his absence, he's left me his word. And this book and these promises are the anchor for my heart when it's troubled. A word from God in the right season. Uh, I, years ago, I was going through uh, whatever difficulty. And I remember getting uh, Betty Robinson. Uh, I gave her a list of promises I needed to quote to myself every day. And I wanted them on three by five cards. And I wanted them typed out. I wanted to make my own promise list. And I would carry those cards with me. I'd go through them throughout the day. I'd pray them in the morning. And I'd go through them throughout the day. Throughout the day. Uh, all things are working together for good. Even this mess I'm in. Even this brokenness. Even this whatever it is. Uh, when I'm a child of God and I'm in charge of loving God, I don't have to know the path. I don't have to predict what's going to happen to me. The only thing I'm in charge of is am I loving God? Because all things are working together for the person who's loving God. Everything. 
He orchestrates all events for our good. For who would have ever thought anything good could come out of Black Friday? And your entrance into heaven came out of Black Friday. God works it for good. Verses like this, do not fear, I am with you. Don't be dismayed. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 41.10. How about quoting that to yourself all day? Fear not, I'm with you. Sound like what he told Joshua. Fear not, I'm with you. Fear not, I'm with you. Uh, I love this, and you gray heads ought to claim this. <laughs> Even to your old age and gray hairs, that's when you're not dying, I am he, I am he who will sustain you. I will sustain you, for I have upheld you since you were conceived and have carried you since your birth. Isaiah 46, 3, 4. If you don't think that's a promise, honey, you're just blind. I'd rather have that promise than the word of the president. He's not going to raise my taxes. Uh, Hebrews 13. God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So with confidence, we may say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? He can ruin the sound system. I'm going to shut up. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in the time of trouble. A very present help. Call on me in the day of trouble. See, promises of God, and so Christ is speaking his word to their heart. Where do you go to get comfort when your heart's troubled? Poetry, a movie, another meal, Maybe a friend. But when my heart is troubled and when the believer's heart is troubled, only a word from his God can settle the heart. Trust in me. Trust in me like you do the Father, men. Trust me. An indirect claim to his own deity. As you would trust the Father, you can trust me. We're co-equal. You're trusting God. Two, he says, I'm going to my father's house and I plan to take you. In my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. He's saying uh, to them, there's plenty of room in the father's house for me to get it occupied with people I'm going to save. There's lots of room in heaven. But listen to these words of Malachi Taylor. A special people taken from the earth in a risen Christ must have a special place. A new thing was to take place. Men brought into heaven. This is brand new. Man was not made for heaven, but for the earth. And so placed here to till the earth and live upon it. By sinning, he lost the earth, and the earth shared his ruin. By sinning, he brought down the Son of God from heaven, and who by his descent opened heaven as the normal place for those believing on Christ would go. God made paradise 
as terra firma with real plants, real air, real real estate. That was the intended home for mankind. We were made to be earth dwellers, but we would live forever originally. But sin came and sin put us in exile, kicked out of Eden. Flaming swords guarding the tree, to the tree of life. Kicked out, exiled from God. Cain kills his brother. God puts a mark upon him. I won't let men kill you, though you deserve it. But I will make you a wanderer in the earth. I'll make you wonder. I'll make you rootless. Uh, we go along, we have a universal flood. The flood was not local. It was universal. It covered every mountain. It covered all the earth, changed all the topography of the earth. The earth at one time was one solid land mass. All that's happened, the divisions, the oceans, all of this is a result of the flood. I was taking classes in Denver, working on a master's program, and one of my profs was a pilot. He flew me up over the Rocky Mountains. We were right there by the Continental Divide because we were in Denver. He flew me up, and he started showing me, look at the water line. Started showing me the water line of the Rocky Mountains that at that point where we were was seven to 8,000 feet. He said, we still get seashells out of those mountains. Local flood, eight, 9,000 feet deep. No. Then we come to the Tower of Babel, chapter 11. We will build a way to heaven without God. We are in charge. We have come together. I told you to fill the earth, populate the earth. He said, no, we will come together and we will build a ziggurat to the heavens. God comes down. He said, when I get through with you, you will be scattered. Your languages will be confused. All your pigmentation is going to change. You were all one color up to the Tower of Babel. I'm going to change color. I'm going to change ease in facial features. I'm going to make you be adapted to different surroundings. I'm going to scatter you, confuse you, and fill the earth so that we have over 3,000 tribes, even to today, have never heard the name of Jesus in their tongue. Man is a wanderer. He's a rolling stone. He's in exile. That's why he, he's restless. It's why you can't get him to settle down. It's why he's looking for some relief. And I read the writings of Paul Turner, a Swiss psychiatrist and uh, believer. And uh, he wrote a book called A Place for You. And he studied children that were rent out of their home environment and were torn away from the home, maybe through divorce, maybe uh, in war, the parents were killed, dad died, mom, uh, what's going on in Syria, what goes on all over the world where there's fighting, and all of a sudden we've got all these homeless children in Africa with the AIDS virus, many children left by themselves, growing up by themselves, 
And Turner, as he dealt with them, uh, he said there was something in these children that uh, they would say, I'm trying to find a place where I can be without being hurt. He tells the story of counseling a, a young man in conflict, left his parents over conflict. And uh, as he was counseling the young man, one day he said to him, basically, I'm always looking for a place for somewhere to be, for somewhere to belong. My daughter and Sean wanted to adopt. So they went to the foster care system. Sometimes these children have been in five different homes. Sometimes in the homes of pedophiles. Sometimes in the homes of people that they are simply rental property because the state of California will pay you a check every month just to feed them and clothe them. They don't guarantee you won't hurt them. And you're supposed to come out normal. You're supposed to come out like everything's okay. Like you're really loved and welcome. No, you're not. You represent $500 a month. And if you cross us enough, we'll give you back to the state. How would you like to be that kind of property? And Jesus is telling these men, the Father's got a house where you'll be welcome in. And there won't be any wondering in heaven. There won't be any evictions. I'm going to take you to a home. We lost our home in Eden, and we've been rolling stones ever since. It's only when you come to Christ you find home again. And he settles down in your heart and guarantees you you've got a home forever. Dwight Del Moody tells the story of a very wealthy man that uh, uh, he was dying. And he had a four-year-old little girl. And she went to Mama and was inquiring about Dad, who was on his deathbed. Uh, what's wrong with Daddy? What's wrong with Daddy? And Mom did not want to uh, bring her untold grief. She simply kept telling the child, Daddy is going away. Daddy is going away. The little girl went to the side of her father and these are the words she said. Papa, have you got a home in the land to where you're going? Do you have a home beyond this world? Or will it be hell, which is eternal exile from the living God? Eternal exile. Eternal away from the God you rejected for your sin. For Jesus to tell us, I've got a home for you. He's saying, I'm going to give you back everything you lost in Eden plus more. I'm going to give you more than you lost. I've got a place called the Father's house that I'm going to take you. So men, stop being troubled. I've got a home we used to sing, I have a home beyond the river. I have a home somewhere beyond the sky. I grew up with people that sang a lot about heaven. And when you live in Harbor Gate and pay $30 a month rent 
and you got seven of you living in about a 600-square-foot house, poor Okies and poor white trash sing a lot about heaven because they had no heaven here. And they weren't figuring out the 401K. They are trying to figure out what they eat that week. Anybody ever been there? I'm worried about my 401K. Oh, throw up. You ought to be saying, I've only got a day between me and starvation. And then I came to Jesus, and I don't know if I'll eat tomorrow, but I've got a home beyond the river. I've got a home. I've got a home. I've got a home. Now he says something that is marvelous. For I go to prepare a place for you. The reason I'm going, the reason I'm leaving you, is I'm going to prepare a place for you. Now, let me tell you how I always understood this verse. And I'll ask how many of you have been on board with me. I always figured he, he's going back to heaven, and if he's going to prepare it, he's going to fix it up. And I read James Boyce, who gave a beautiful illustration that when you hear you're going to have a baby girl, uh, if you're going to have a baby boy, well, come on, you've got to decorate the room pink or blue. Or uh, if your mother uh, is going to move in with you uh, and you're fixing up a place where they're going to be, you want to move their room as far away from the kids as you can. <laughs> Paint the room black, whatever. You know, you'll want to make them feel at home. You know, you're, you're adapting to who's going to be living there. And so, Boyce gives this beautiful illustration of he's going to decorate. And I've always liked that idea, and I thought that's what it probably meant. That's why you don't want to study. When you study, you have to change your views. And some of you would rather die than change your view, right? Because you've always been right. Well, D.A. Carson gives us beautiful insight. This is what he says. These words presuppose that the place exists before Jesus gets there. Now, let, let, listen. Did, did the dwelling places already exist, or does he have to get there and make them? I can't hear you. They're, they're already existent? How many agree? How many of you are afraid to say? In my Father's house are many dwelling places, right? already there. Well, what in the world are you going to prepare? Watch. It is not that he arrives on the scene and then begins to prepare the place. Rather, in the context of John's theology, it is the going itself by way of the cross and resurrection that prepares the place for Jesus' disciples. And if he takes such trouble as to go to the cross and die for his own, isn't it inconceivable that he would not bring them into the place? The preparation for the place, he had to go to the cross to purchase you a right to the place. The real estate's already there, but you were never going to occupy it until he goes to the cross. He had to go to the cross to rent your room for eternity. That's what prepared the place. The real estate was there. 
The rooms were there, but you weren't going to be there. But he went to the cross and he purchased a people that will live and live in those dwelling places for all eternity. And the rent was paid at the cross forever. That is the way he prepared the place. Not it was already there. Correct your theology and agree with me. I feel so good. <laughs> Fourthly, I will be coming back for you. Uh, I'm not just going away. I plan to come back. And I will come back for you. And uh, I will come back and I will welcome you. I love this. I will come again and ESV and NIV say take you. But it's too, um, it doesn't capture. The word receive you is better. And this word receive you was used of a man receiving his bride. Uh, let me ask you women how you feel this way. I took a bride. Or I received a bride. I welcomed a bride. Do the dishes. I mean, no, I welcomed the bride. It's a word of warmth. It's a, a word of welcome, a word of embracing. And so Christ is saying, I'm coming again, and when I'm coming again, I'm not sending Gabriel or Michael to get you. I'm going to receive you to myself because you're my bride. I'm coming for you like an oriental man went to get his bride and take the bride back to the father's house. It's going to be a tender Reunion when we see Jesus. I'm not afraid of Jesus coming. I'm longing for it. I used to be afraid of it. I'm no longer afraid. How many of you anticipated? I'm, I'm looking forward to him coming. Some of you said, well, it messed up our vacation. <laughs> I never forget Karen Fernandez. I was getting ready to marry them out at their ranch. And, and she was there. She'd been waiting. And so... Uh, the week before, I said, Karen, are you all excited? Are you ready? And she said, I've just been praying Jesus won't come for another week. <laughs> I tell you, when she got married, she started praying that he'd come anytime. <laughs> anytime, Jesus, rescue me. I just remember, hold off, Jesus, hold off. I want to marry Steve. And then they became post-tribulational because she's now in the trib. She knows it. Uh, I will be coming back to welcome you. Somebody send her that tape. She'll love it. He's coming again. We will be with Christ forever. What a beautiful thing. That's the final thing he says. Where I am, you're going to be. I, I've got to go by way of the cross. I'm leaving you to prepare the place. It will take my life. I'll have to be in a grave for three days. I'll have to ascend, and I'm going to leave you in the world 2,000 years. Wow. They had no idea. No idea. Will he still have a church if he delays another 1,000 years? Yeah, I think so. We thought the church was totally lost in 313 A.D., when Constantine declared the Roman Empire Christian, the worst thing he ever did to Christianity. Because everybody's now a Christian. 
It's kind of Americanism. A Christian country, it's the worst thing we could ever say. It's a pagan country in need of God. We're just free to preach Christ, thank God. Thank God for those liberties. But quit calling us a Christian country. We're a bunch of sinners that need Christ. That's why we've got to become missionaries and quit going on about all of our nationalism and all of the flag. That's wonderful. One, but we haven't done. That's not the reason we're still here. We're here to evangelize people, to bring them to Christ, and to help get them to heaven. That's why I pray you'll be praying for our Vacation Bible School. You folks, we pay for this. We buy the equipment. They recruit 150 adults so far. These people teach. They give. Uh, they, they're wonderful. They take care of these. But we're not doing it to be a social outlet. We're trying to plant a seed that maybe God once in a while saves an 8-year-old. Once in a while, he saves a seven-year-old. Once in a while, he saves somebody before 13. Anybody here saved before 13? Look at you. So, if your heart's troubled today, I can only give you the remedy of Jesus. Five things. Trust me. Two, know this world is not your home, and there's plenty of sorrow here, but I'm taking you to the Father's house. Three, I'll prepare the place, even if it costs me my life. I'll prepare a place. Because I'm going to populate heaven with sinners. Is that not amazing? The only people that can go to heaven are sinners. And I'm fearful of who my neighbor might be. But he will save. And he will change. And then you will be with me forever. I'm coming again. And the question comes up. They're listening, and they speak up. And you know the way where I'm going. And Thomas says, no, I don't. I'm scared. And so next week, we're going to look at how you can know how to get to the Father's house. Do you know how to get there? Some of you here today aren't going to the Father's house. At this present time, you're going as a wandering rolling stone to the exile of hell. That's what hell is. C.S. Lewis once said, God made hell because he would not make anybody go to heaven. If you don't want Jesus, you don't want to be in place where he's the light of the city and he's the attraction. See, there's some folks say, oh, yeah, I want to go to heaven. Do you love Jesus? I don't want Jesus. I want heaven. You don't get heaven without Jesus. If you'll accept Jesus, God will throw heaven in free. There's an old song that Fanny Crosby used to sing, the blind songwriter. This is the way the words go. And some of you grayheads ought to be able to hum it when I read the words. I say grayheads with respect, by the way. I'm ancient myself. Someday the silver cord will break, and I no more as now shall sing. But oh, the joy when I shall awake within the palace of the king. Someday my earthly home will fall. I cannot tell how soon twill be, but this I know, my all in all has now a place in heaven for me. And here's the chorus. You got to know it. 
and I shall see him face to face and tell the story saved by grace. And I shall see him face. Now, those are great words for Fanny Crosby. He was blind all of her life. And I shall see him face to face. My first glimpse of vision will be when I see him. And I will sing, saved by grace. You see, Jesus will be what makes it heaven to me. I don't want angels. I don't want diamonds. I don't want streets of gold. Keep it off. I want to be the one who prepared the way and has five wounds in his body to say, that's how I prepared the place for you. That's who I want to be with, Jesus. If heaven has no Jesus, cancel my reservation. Wherever he's going to be, that's where I'm going. He said, I could be with him forever. <laughs> Would you like to go to heaven? Receive Jesus. And as broke as you can be, as many troubles as you may have in this life, it's unending just to know you've got heaven. I never forget an uh, interview with a black gentleman in Mississippi. That was a uh, sharecropper. His people, he'd been on this land since his parents, going back to uh, nearly the Civil War. He was an old man at the interview, sitting on an old chair on a shanty down in Mississippi. And one of the major newsrooms, I don't know why they were even doing the article, they were, I think, checking the blight of the black population there. And here he is, never owned any land, had worked the property like his parents had. Oh, there was no shower in that house. There was no heat. There was just a poor African-American on a porch in the middle of a cotton field. And they're interviewing him. How are you surviving? How have you made it? And at the end of the interview, he simply said, I've never owned any property here. I've just worked these fields with my daddy and mama and my people for generations. But he said, I want to tell you, Mr. Newsman, I'm rich in God. For I've got a home beyond the river. I know where I'm going. I'm rich in God. And I looked at that man. His net worth would be 300 bucks. But you can die a rich man and go to hell forever. Or be a poor Lazarus who said, I've taken Jesus as my Savior. And nobody gave me enough money to get me out of poverty. But I know where I'll be for eternity. And in eternity, I'll be comforted in the bosom of Abraham. Well, I want to tell you, I'm going to get a better bosom than Abraham's. I'm going to Jesus. I'm going to be with him forever. That's where we're going. That's why the greatest thing on the earth today is churches that preach Christ and try to reach poor lost sinners and say, end your exile, come home, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. You'll find a home for eternity. Our Father, 
I thank you I've got a home. I've got a Savior. And I've got a place. And I've got eternity made. Just because of the cross and the empty tomb. And you tracked me down on 15th and Cuddy. And gave me eternal life. I bless your name. I bless your name. I thank you for this man in Mississippi who knew what was really lasting riches, having a home in heaven through Jesus and not owning a bunch of land. It was Jesus that had made him rich. You have made us rich, Father, in your Son. And we thank you. We thank you that we get to serve you and love you. And we thank you for family to make the journey to heaven with, that other pilgrims, other believers, this family of believers, we're not going to heaven as a solo flight. We're going as a flock of sheep. We need each other. We need each other. It would get lonely if it was just us, but you're saving millions. Millions will be around the throne, not just a few. Hundreds of thousands of believers throughout the earth what a day when Jesus comes back for his own. What a day that will be. Thank you. You put us in your divine family. And thank you you gave us human families out of your love and graciousness. Bless every dad here today. Bless every family unit. The children of the dad. May they come to know Christ. Save, save. 